Hi, everyone, and welcome to Be True, my podcast about the writing I love and the writing I do. I promise I won't rhyme the whole time. (laughs) I'm John Tessitore, and today I have adjusted my expectations. This poem was originally published as a section of my chapbook. For a minute there, it seemed like something was happening. It will soon be published as a standalone poem in a forthcoming pamphlet of more radical poems called On Self-Expression After the Revolution. You can find for a minute there, and very soon you will find On Self-Expression After the Revolution at johntessitori.com. For a minute there, it seemed like something was happening, is about the rise and fall of a particular kind of optimism, a late 1990s optimism, a belief, especially among young people of that time, that the dot-com boom would lead us into a new world, that the digital would somehow improve our humanity. It's also about the erosion of that optimism, especially after the attacks of September 11, 2001. The new pamphlet, On Self-Expression After the Revolution, is about the fragility of humanity and of humanism at this particular moment in human history. Humanism. The belief in the value of the human, the individual, over the religious, the digital, the institutional, the doctrinal, the national, and the corporate. Humanism is the foundation of my life and work, as a professional, once upon a time as a scholar and teacher, and as a poet. And I'm afraid it's slipping away. I Have Adjusted My Expectations is a poem that bridges these ideas, bridges the collapse of the optimism in which I came of age, our belief in the great computer-generated humanistic utopia we were promised, and the fear I have right now that the entire human project, everything I value, is somehow at risk. I have adjusted my expectations, as if I have a choice. I have decided to reduce and recycle. I want to keep things simple, as if I have a choice. I want what can't be bought, sold, or controlled. I want to sit on my pillow, practice zazen, learn. I want to protect you, bring you to peace. Tie a red string around your wrist. Our bodies. I want to start with our bodies. At rest, then, yes, in violence, extremis, as if we have a choice. It costs us nothing to find our limits, only a test of trust, again, as if we have a choice. And yet, it isn't wrong for circumstances to lead me to this, to where I have belonged all along, writing songs of deathless devotion, finding my way as a half-assed Buddha, first, with the modest ambition of a single poem, simple and true, and a lust so overwhelming, a passion so fierce, that my only other ambition is you. As if we have a choice. That's such an important phrase in this strange era of ours. I'm not sure that anyone has ever really had a choice. There's always been a boss or a politician or a priest blocking the way. But I have a nagging feeling that power has learned to be even more subtle over time, has become more deceptive, and is somehow more all-encompassing. Like so many people I know, I'm afraid I can't do enough to change anything in a meaningful way. I can reduce and recycle. I can keep things simple, but so much of our lives are already bought, sold, or controlled. For example, the climate crisis, the enormity of it, 
is elsewhere. Even if I drive my electric car to and from the grocery store, and I do, even if I compost, and I do, even if I separate my trash, and I do, even if I bring my own reusable bags to the grocery store with me, and I do, massive corporations at home and abroad are making sure they can turn a profit with minimal inconvenience and minimal regulation, and they're polluting at a rate I can't compensate for. Corporations that, by definition, have no responsibility to anyone other than investors, and investors who also have no responsibility at all, by definition. Then there are the online algorithms, which show us what we want to see, not what we need to learn. At this moment in our history, where does the algorithm end and truth begin? Tough to say. Ask the American voter what's real and what's fake news. Tough to say. Which brings us to a third example, and the one that bothers me the most. It has to do with the American democratic process. One person, one vote, right? Well, not really. Not ever. In fact, the entire system was designed from the very beginning to serve power, not voters. Just a few simple observations. The Electoral College has given us two presidents in the last 20 years who have lost the popular vote. Those presidents have delivered an unpopular Supreme Court, living on lifetime appointments, ruling without humility, spending their time overturning popular precedent. Those appointments are approved by a Senate, where my vote as a resident of Massachusetts is worth a tenth of the vote of a resident of North Dakota. And don't forget the gerrymandered congressional districts where racial and ethnic minorities in particular have been divided and conquered for too long, for forever in fact. And there you have it. That's how all three branches of government can be separated from the will of the people. So while there's been endless talk about a divided American electorate, I'm not so sure it's as divided as it appears. It's very hard to tell when the majority has been so successfully disenfranchised. It's a fucking mess. And none of it is illegal or even anti-constitutional. It's all baked into the document. It all goes back to the original negotiations of the Constitutional Convention to preserve the influence of slave states. It all goes back to one of our original sins. Now, students of American history may hear in this little rant an echo of the old silent majority bullshit. Richard Nixon's convenient campaign slogan of the early 1970s, which was designed to energize white men who resented the gains of women and minorities in the late 60s. The silent majority of guys who felt like they were the real Americans, while the fake Americans were running the country. That is, and always has been bullshit. I'm talking about something much more basic. Vast numbers of Americans who are, in one way or another, systemically, institutionally, legally disenfranchised by the very system designed to serve them. No wonder why so many people around the world and here at home receive the decisions of our government with something like bewilderment. As if we have a choice. But here's the real wrinkle for me. Something new in our time. A figurative and literal wrinkle. The fuckers in power are getting older, even as the disparity between the rich and poor widens. In other words, power and wealth are increasingly hoarded at the top among old folks who continue to run the world according to old ways. The evidence is everywhere you look. A silly but revealing demonstration. The most famous representative of Nixon's silent majority in the 1970s was a television character, Archie Bunker from All in the Family. Archie was a guy from the American past, a time when goyles were goyles and men were men as he sang in the theme song. Now on the backslope of his life, 
wondering how the hell everything had changed around him. In the year I was born, Archie was the most popular character on television. Most people, but not everyone, knew he was a satire. Some people actually identified with him. Never underestimate confirmation bias. But one way or another, everyone watched him and waited to hear what crazy thing he'd say next. Now here's the thing. In the year I was born, 1974, sad old Archie sitting in his armchair was exactly the same age I am today. We're both nearing 50. Now thankfully, I look a hell of a lot younger than Archie Bunker did. (laughs) But even more important, and more to the point, I occupy a different place in the pecking order. A better place, yes, I am more firmly planted in the white-collar world of opportunity than Archie's loading dock foreman. But Archie was very clearly an adult in 1974, living in a world of adults. The show was based on it. He was fighting for mastery. For obvious reasons, he'd never attain it. But no one wondered whether he was too young to have it. Whether he was too young to be a master of the universe. Today, at Archie's age, I'm still looking up at two generations of Americans who live longer and retire later and hold more of the nation's wealth. I'm still waiting for a place to open up at the adult table. In the world of money and power, I'm still an adolescent. A more privileged adolescent sitting at the kids' table, but an adolescent. In 1974, Archie was a feckless adult bypassed by the American dream. In 2023, I'm told I'm still a relatively young guy waiting his turn. Again, no complaints, I'd rather be me, and I'd rather write than have any kind of actual power. But I've had to adjust my expectations anyway, and so have my friends and peers. We're going to be on this hamster wheel a hell of a lot longer than our fathers and mothers. We're going to be shut out of important decision-making for a lot longer, too. And we just have to hunker down, as if we have a choice. So if we can't change the world, and we can't know the truth, and we can't have a reasonable society based on responsible institutions, and we're struggling against a demographic shift that will take generations to figure out, notice I didn't even mention AI, what can we do? We can start small, the local, the nonprofit, the volunteer. We can start outside of the traditional structures and institutions. In fact, we have to. This is what all pragmatic optimists will tell you. But my poem proposes a second possibility, too, and one even closer to my heart as a desperate humanist in a dehumanizing world. I want to start with our bodies. That's a loaded phrase in post-Roe America, but so be it. If we can't own our bodies, women and men too, if we can't own ourselves, we're fucked. And not in a good way. Who and how we love, what we enjoy, what gives us pleasure, solace, comfort, how we define ourselves, present ourselves, what we call ourselves what we consent to do and what we don't consent to do, how we fuck, how we deal with a passion so fierce and a lust so overwhelming, these must be our decisions alone. As our culture continues to diminish the value of the individual in new and exciting ways, at the very least we need to preserve our dignity as human beings in human bodies. It's a modest ambition in the end, but we're going to have to fight for it. It's either the final frontier of our old lives or the first frontier of our new lives. Either way, we have no other choice. And so, in the hope that you find some pleasure, comfort, and dignity in your humanness in this new year, however you define yourself, this is John Tessitore concluding another installment of Be True. If you've listened this long, thank you. 
You can find more about my work at johntessitore.com. But first, the obvious thing for me to do right now is recommend episodes of All in the Family. But this has been a heavy episode already. So instead, I recommend another show created by the recently deceased Norman Lear. A pure comedy. It's called Fernwood Tonight. A mock talk show starring Martin Mull and Fred Willard. You can find episodes on YouTube. It's one of my happy places. Special thanks to me for today's theme music, which I call Decord. Maybe we'll talk again. And if you enjoyed this little podcast, leave some stars or a review and tell your friends. In the meantime, I got to feed the dog. All right, Luna, I'm coming. <laughs>